where we pick up our march through Genesis. One of the things that I value so much about our congregation is that each and every voice matters when we sing. And so when you miss church, you are missed. When we don't have your voice here to worship the living God, God's glory is diminished in our congregation, in our local congregation. And so it's so valuable to have you here. And so I just want to tell you how much I appreciate getting the kids their shoes, bringing, um, getting up when you're tired, when you're worn out, and showing up, even though you don't always want to show out. So turn to Genesis. You know, we talk a lot about faith in church, don't we? Faith about this, faith about that. In fact, the world talks a lot about faith. We have faith in this, we have faith in that. What does faith mean? What does it mean when I say you must have faith in God? You must have faith in Jesus. What does that look like? I was uh, reminded of a story this morning about a man who would walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. In fact, he, one day he got a, a wheelbarrow, filled it with rocks, and then walked across Niagara Falls. And he did this several times. Everyone's ooing and awing, clapping. And then he goes, he dumps the rocks out, and he says, okay, who wants to ride in the wheelbarrow? Any takers? Everybody said, well, we trust that he can make it across. We trust that he knows how to tightrope with a wheelbarrow, but I'm not trusting myself to ride in that wheelbarrow with that man across Niagara Falls. And that's what we see faith looks like. Faith looks like obedience. And that's what our passage illuminates for us today. We see that in the life of Abraham. So let's go ahead and read our passage. We're going to start in verse 10, where we had left off of chapter 11. And we have some fun names to work through, as we did last week. So here we go. This is the word of the living God. These are the family records of Shem. Shem lived a hundred years and fathered, here we go, Arp, Akshad, two years after the flood. After he fathered Arp, Akshad, Shem lived 500 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Arp, Akshad lived 35 years and fathered Shelah. After he fathered Shelah, Arp, Akshad lived 403 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Shelah lived 30 years and fathered Heber. After he fathered Heber, Shelah lived 403 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Heber lived 34 years and fathered Peleg. After he fathered Peleg, Heber lived 430 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and fathered Ru. After he fathered Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and fathered Surug. After he fathered Surug, Ru lived 207 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Surug lived 30 years and fathered Nahor. After he fathered Nahor, Surug lived 200 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and fathered Terah. After he fathered Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and 
Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during this during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive, and she did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Sechem at the Oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I am giving this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it speaks to us. Lord, as we look at Abraham, I pray that you will give us wisdom to see what faith looks like in confusing circumstances what faith looks like in the life of the believer. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see, that they would limit the distractions of their mind and focus in on what your word has to say. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lord, our faith has found a resting place, and it is in the word of the Lord, of Christ incarnate, the word. Lord, we pray for our community. Lord, I want to lift up Summit Baptist in Wachuca City. Lord, as his pastor, as the pastor there brings the message that he preaches the word faithfully and true and that lives would be converted and people would turn to the living God. They would turn from lesser things. Lord, we pray also for churches in Sierra Vista that the gospel would go forth and that our community would be transformed by the good news of Christ. Lord, once again, we lift up the churches in Ukraine, that they would be a witness to you amongst the chaos that lives would be transformed by the good news in the, even in a time of storm, a time of war. Lord, we ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ through the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. So that was a lot of fun names, wasn't it? Some people say that that is the most important aspect or most important verses in Genesis. Now you may be thinking, okay, I did not get a lot out of that. And the reason is, it's because it's a connecting piece between primeval history and the main thrust, the main drama of Genesis. And so what they are doing is they are connecting the patriarchs, starting with Abram, to the past. 
Where did the line of Shem go? Who is Peleg? Who is Heber? Where we get the name for the Hebrews from. Where are these people in relation to today? And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the family tree continue to be expanded for the Hebrews. And so as the Hebrews read this, they recognize a few things. The first thing they're recognizing is that God chose Abram. They chose him out of all the people, out of the line of Shem. Think about the brothers and sisters and the children that, that Shem had, or the children that Shem had. Out of every one of that line, one of them was chosen. Not all of them, one. One was chosen to carry the seed. And if you look through this, you see these names, names like Peleg, which is where Christ is, and his line is, is derived from. We see uh, Nahor, and then we see Terah. And each of those were chosen by God to carry the blessing. Because remember, Shem was blessed and Ham was cursed by Noah because of their sinfulness. And what we see then is that this movement to the promise, Shem was blessed. Then Abram received the blessing because of the line that he comes from. And the blessing flourished. So God chose to reveal himself to Abram, not because of anything good in Abram. Abram was living in the pagan land. Yet God chose him out of the pagans in order to carry this. Now think about this for a minute. How old was Abram? 75 years old. If you're going to choose someone to make a nation, would you choose a 75-year-old man to do the task? Think about this. His wife was barren. They had 75 years to make babies, and they were unable to have a child so that God was glorified in this, that he chose the least likely candidates. I think in this room, we have a lot of least likely candidates, don't we? And so God chose the things that are foolish in the world, chose a childless couple to make a nation that would bless the whole earth. This is amazing. This is, this is awe-inspiring. As we read through this, man, we want to sing out in joy because Christ came from this couple, this barren couple, no less. Abraham's walk of faith begins. Now remember, Abram's name is High Father. Yet soon he's going to be renamed Abraham, which is a father of a multitude, which is kind of a play on words, a little ironic even. And what's interesting, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call him Abraham from now on just to avoid confusion. All right, so if you see Abram, just know I'll probably say Abraham. So the main thrust of this passage is one of faith, faith in action. So according to the New Testament, Abraham was the chief model of saving faith. And what is his object of faith? What did he have faith in? What did he trust in? He got in the wheelbarrow and rode across. What is the wheelbarrow? What is the man pushing the wheelbarrow? Now, most of us would say, well, God. But that's not what Abraham trusted in, was it? Everyone's thinking really hard now. It was the word of God. He trusted in the word of God. Listen to what happens. So, Practically speaking, faith in Scripture is believing, obeying, and participating in His words. What we see is the word of the Lord comes and Abraham responds in faith. So Abraham shows us four steps to take when following the Lord in faith. The first step is leaving everything behind. Look at verse 12. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go 
from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Think about that for a minute. Not that I am showing you right now, but that I will show you. So get your stuff, throw it in your Camaro, and get rolling. Don't know where you're going yet. Abraham is in a pagan land. He is in Ur initially, and so he has to obey the Lord to bless and bless others. So I want you to see a few things here, two things. God's calling requires faith, and then faithfulness brings blessing. So God's calling, first of all, requires faith. So when he says, go from your land, it's a command from God. God speaks directly to him with no chance of misunderstanding. That's not hard to misunderstand. Go from your land. That's pretty simple. Very simple. Just like he speaks clearly in the word today. Very clear in scripture what we must do. Augie helpfully showed us Matthew, where God says through Jesus, or Jesus as God says, go into all the world and make disciples. It's very clear. Not a lot of confusion in that. In the same way, Abraham has a very clear calling. God shows, God's calling shows us that Abraham is to leave the security of his family. Think about this. If you are living in a pagan land, you want all the family members you can get. Right? A big family is protection for you in that time. Because who's going to mess with a bigger family? Right? That's why we have a lot of kids at my house. Because no one wants to mess with us. So keep making those kids, right? We're going to outvote through procreation. The comfort of his father's house, he had to leave. He had to go to the land that will be shown to him. It's not guaranteed what the land is going to look like. Just follow. Hebrews 11.8 puts it this way, and I love how Hebrews says it. It says it like this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Man, when you plan a trip, I don't know about you guys, but back in the day we used MapQuest. Now I guess we just have GPS. I like to look at where we're going. In today's economy, we also look at the gas stations, don't we? What is the gas prices as we drive across the country? And so we plan out our route. Abraham didn't have that luxury. He just said, get your stuff and go. Move from a house that has, a, has walls and a comfortable dwelling, and you're going to be a nomad. You're going to live in tents. And so the evidence of Abraham's faith is in his obedience, his faithfulness. And that's what we see next, is that faithfulness brings blessing. Verses 2 and 3 really bring this out. There's a pattern that we don't want to miss. Look at verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is in essentially the whole life of Abraham in a nutshell. And we're going to see that as we move forward. This is the foundational passage for all of Abraham's life. When he goes and Pharaoh sees his wife, Sarai, and says, man, that's an attractive woman. I'm going to bring her into my kingdom, into my castle, into my palace. What happens? The whole Egyptian, they become cursed. They have issues because they are treating Abraham with contempt. Not though he even tried to bribe him. Anyways, we'll get there. 
So there is this command to go. And then it's followed by three promises. These promises allow Abraham to be a blessing, as the command in verse 2 says, which in turn leads to three more promises. It's a very fascinating symmetry, isn't it? If we got really we had time to be nerdy, we would look at the symmetry of it. We don't have that time. So blessing is mentioned five times in just these three verses. The blessing comes as a direct result of his relationship with the Lord God through faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Not only that, but God will be with Abraham, and anyone who treats him poorly will face the consequences of being cursed by God. Isn't that interesting? God is so related to Abraham that is essentially that if you curse Abraham, you are cursing God. That's how close knitted they are. God's action in this promise shows that fulfillment will not just rest on Abraham and his children, but reaches its full fulfillment to the whole world. Ultimately, we know this in Jesus Christ as we read back into the text. So the church consists of these called out ones. The church, by definition, is an assembly called out. Have you thought about yourself in that way before? Church members, you are an assembly of the called out ones, the ones who are called out. So what this would look like in the old days is that a herald would have a message from the king, and he would enter into a town and he'll begin to declare that he needs to call out those people who are the head of households, the main people who are the decision makers in the town. And so he would make his way through the town yelling out, here's a message from the king, a message from the king, a message from the king. And then he would gather everyone, and that would be called an ecclesia, a, a, an assembly, a gathering. That's why I always make a little joke that church is some assembly required. right? And so there is some assembly that is required. And what he does is the true, he tells us, or this shows us that the true church consists of those who have been redeemed from humanity by the effectual grace of God. The Holy Spirit continues to call out and bring to the Lord Jesus those who would bow the knee to him now. In a practical sense, conversion is the result of the call, go from your land. It is a call to come out of your sinful lifestyle, to repent from your idols, and to turn to the living God. It's a, it's a rejecting of one thing and turning to another. It's a, um, it's a transfer. It's a call to separate yourself from your wicked past, your self-centered deeds. You must answer this call today, right now even. And there's always two responses, right? We, we either accept this call or we reject this call. And sometimes we do that just on the day-to-day basis, don't we? And we see Abraham kind of bumbles the ball here a little bit. The paradigm of faith doesn't go the full way. He only moves halfway, and we'll see that. So you must answer this call today, right now. Will you reject the promise of joyful, abundant life in Christ our Lord, or will you continue to live in the wicked city of Ur? The call to become a Christian is a call to die to leave everything behind. Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is pretty serious. Are you willing to put everything that you want to death for the sake of Christ? 
about that for a minute. What was required of Abraham? To leave everything behind. Safety, security, extended family, you name it. It's not too unlike a soldier who gets orders to go overseas. They know that we have to make a will. We know that we have to put our affairs in order because if we die, we want our family to be taken care of. So you need to count the cost. In fact, Jesus tells us, tells us this in Mark 8, 34 through 35. He says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. There's been a lot of cheap grace handed out in our world. We have said, oh, all you need to do is have some fire insurance. Pray this prayer, say these five words, and now you're saved. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about obedience. Don't worry about trusting in the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding. Just, you know what, Jesus plus. I read a, a story the other day about a, a, a man, he was a pastor, and he likes to go to the park, and he sits there, and he thinks about the things of the Lord. And he said these, uh, these moms were sitting there, and they were talking. And they were talking about how they chose their church. And he said they were talking about the children's program, and they were talking about how good-looking the pastor was, and they were talking about how you know this was the way this was, the music was this, the ambiance was this, right? All the little things. And then he said, then they went on to talk about daycare. And they had the same criteria. They had the same choices. They were just plussing up their life a little bit. It was like garnish on a sinful life. And so we see that the calling of the Lord is a call to come and die, to deny ourselves. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus alone, Christ alone. That is to be our greatest treasure. So if you are an unbeliever in this room, if you are not following Jesus as your Lord, as your master, I want to ask you this question. Will you heed his call? Will you step out in faith today? Make that commitment in your heart now and then come talk to me after service. Struggling Christian, do you want the spiritual blessings that come from Christ? Are you feeling lackadaisical, like something ain't right? I ask you, are you following in the footsteps of Christ? Are you a true disciple that is denying yourself are you dying to yourself daily? Because that's probably the reason why you're not experiencing the blessings that come from Christ. It's because you're not denying yourself. You're so self-centered. You're seeking your own will over that of your spouse. You'd rather have what you want and your desires more than serving your spouse or your children. The second step is to obey. Four through six shows us that after he gets the word from the Lord, Abraham went it's very abrupt. In the Hebrew, it's even more quick. Verse 4 says, so Abram went. That's it. He obeyed. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of, when they came to the land of Canaan. Now, we're going to stop there for a second. So have you noticed there's a progression that's happened? 
So they started in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is a, a wicked city. We know that already. We've talked about it. And so they set out. His dad actually led the charge and brought them. But then they got comfortable in Haran. They got comfortable sitting on the couch. It's kind of like when you get saved and then you live your Christian life, you're full of passion and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're just vibrant in your faith. And then about a year goes and you're like, man, I'd rather sit on this couch than follow my Lord. And you begin to couch potato the Christian life. Or you treat the Christian life as a buffet and a vacation. And so Abraham, he's called by God to get up and go. And so the second time he gets up and go. Now this passage really points out some things. It shows that his wife is old. He's old. These are old men. They're not young. Uh, old men and women. And we notice also that the ages are beginning to shrink. So as mankind spreads across the earth, the ages begin to get less and less. And so a 75-year-old doesn't have a lot of life left in him. And I'm sure Abraham probably felt like some of you feel right now. Weary, tired. You've lived your life. You've done your thing. And now you're tired. But God calls him to be obedient. So God calls. He doesn't call us to an easy obedience. It's never going to be an easy obedience. You will be challenged to trust, even when it's hard and doesn't make any sense. Now, verse 5, I just want to point out, is a common leaving formula. This is the same formula that's used in Genesis 11.31, but we're not going to go into that. But basically what we see is that Abraham packs up his family and he goes. And we also see that others follow him in obedience. You know, we are often bringing others with us when we obey or disobey the Lord, aren't we? When you disobey the living God in your home, who follows you? Your children. You ever wonder why your children are such brats? It's because you're a brat, right? That's just the reality. They learn their habits from you. And so if you are slow to repentance, they are going to be slow to repentance. If you are harsh with your wife, they are going to be harsh to each other. It's just the reality. So in our disobedience, we bring them along. But also there's good news. In our obedience to the Lord, we can also bring them along. And so when we, when we imitate what it means to be faithful, they imitate us. And so that's what we have here. We have this following in obedience. Now it's interesting. It says the people that they had acquired. Now the language here is not that of slaves. A lot of times we think that Abraham had a bunch of slaves that he brought. It just says souls in the text which is just an interesting note to make. So were they slaves of Abraham um, in the uh, indentured servitude sense, or were they people that had become followers of Jesus or followers of Abraham, followers of God because of Abraham? That's a good question. We're not going to find the answer today because I have 12 minutes left. Obedience also encounters opposition. Look at verse 6. Abraham passed through the land to the site of Shechem, at the oak of Moriah, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, remember, the Canaanites are Israel's um, antagonists. They are their arch enemies. And so by Moses mentioning the Canaanites here, he's saying that Abraham is going to go into another land full of pagan idolaters. And you know what? The archaeologists have really helped us out here. As they have un as they unearthed the Canaanites, the, the, the history of the Canaanites, they are finding little baby bones around some, some idols. Do you know what that indicates? Child sacrifices. 
In fact, we know that the Canaanites, when they would sacrifice children, would beat drums as loud as they could so that the mothers and the fathers who'd sacrificed their child wouldn't hear their child screaming as they died. That's the people that Abraham is going into. That's the land that he is entering into. Not too unlike our society today, is it? You've got abortion mills in every city almost. Abortion is still legal in this country. You know why we kill our, our, our offspring? Convenience. It's wicked. <clears throat> so Abraham is entering into a place of pagan worship. They are the antagonists. They are the people who are against Abraham. And so this is the promised land that Abraham is promised. A land full of idolaters. Obedience to the Lord is not without opposition, yet God empowers us to obey by the presence of by his presence and his word. That's our third step. Embrace God's presence. Look at 7a. Now, this is my favorite part of this whole passage. I just kept dwelling on it this week. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Think about that for a minute. He has entered into massive opposition. The land is full of child sacrificers. And he could be really worried at this point. Yet God appears to him. The Lord God appears. The Lord appears. God's presence with his people will sustain them in hard times. So in the face of opposition, God's people need his presence. So God shows himself to Abraham. It's amazing. It's an amazing reality that in your opposition, the Lord is with you if you are a believer. I want to note here that this says the, this word for offspring. How many have offspring in their Bibles? Just show of hands, little group participation. How many of you have seed? Anybody have seed? Do you have a King James? Is that why? Okay. So in the King James, I think they did a great job of translating this word seed. You want to know why I think they did such a great job? Because Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 has the same exact word, seed. Now, many of you will have a little you know, subtitle thing going down, and you'll say seed, also seed. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, he's talking to the serpent, and between your offspring, or seed, and her seed, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So literally, the word seed is connected here. So what... The Lord is saying to Abram is that your seed will inherit this. Do you see the Christ connection in this? Sometimes I think we tend to expect God to appear like he did in the Old Testament and speak like he did in the Old Testament. I think we forget that these are just foreshadows. They're just shadows of the substance, right? And a, a, a shadow of something is not tangible in the same way that a actual corporal or a, a feel, an actual thing is. So if I stand here and my shadow is there, my shadow is but a reflection of the real thing. And that's what we see here in this passage, is that the Lord showing up to these people, these prophets, is nothing but a foreshadowing of, of the coming Jesus. Let's go ahead and look at a few places. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. 
In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so He became superior to the angels, just as the name He inherited is more excellent than theirs. Guess what? Today, we have this sure foundation. We have something way better than the voice of the Lord. We have the living God. We have Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word, Christ who dwelt amongst us, who experienced life as you and me, suffered in every way, Hebrews 4 tells us. We have this encouragement, and if, if you really want to know also, the Spirit dwells amongst us. If you are a believer, the Spirit dwells inside of you. Romans 4 through 6 really brings that out, and we don't have time to go through it because that's just such a rich time, and we would be here, and we wouldn't beat the Methodists to lunch. So let's go real quickly to Romans chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. It says, Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. We should not forget that Christ is with us when we experience opposition, when things go hard. Which leads us to worship. That's step four, worship. God's presence always leads to worship. The building of an altar to the Lord was the regular way people expressed their gratitude and devotion. Let's go ahead and look at our passage. in verse. At the end of verse seven, it says, I will give this land... So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8 says, From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. What I like is this is the same theme that shows up in Genesis chapter 4. In chapter 4, it talks about a son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Isn't it interesting how every little bit of this text ties into another bit of the text? We could spend our whole life just trying to connect the dots. We would probably make an ugly animal because we don't know how to connect dots properly. I don't know about you who have kids but they don't like to follow the numbers properly, do they? Right. And so Luther translated it as preached the name of the Lord. Not, not just called on, but actually preached the name of the Lord. And I think in the context here, I think that's correct. I think that it's a helpful word. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Abraham, in faith, he moved or journeyed by stages as a pilgrim, and he worshipped by proclaiming the name of Yahweh, the Lord, that's how we translate it, as he went in obedience to the word of the Lord. So if you are a mature believer, you should be growing in your worship of the Lord. There should be growth happening in your life. You should be growing by proclaiming him to yourself, first of all, and then to others. You should be finding joy in this. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard as we read through Leviticus and Numbers, and we hear all these things. But two years ago, I was brought to tears by Leviticus. 
You want to know why? Because every strict jot and tittle, every capital and period pointed to one thing. God is holy, perfect, and I am not. And I cannot reach a holy and perfect God. And so as I looked at how the Israelites were to, to come to the Lord, to come to God, they had to like sacrifice animals. They had to take showers. They had to take baths. They had to do all these cleansing rituals. They had to have blood spread on them. They had to have a, an intermediary. Can you imagine if that was our approach to God today? That we would have to actually humble ourselves for once in our lives and come to the holy living God? And I was just overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. That because of Christ, I don't have to go through an intermediary because my intermediary died for me. Can you imagine coming to the president of the United States for something? All the hoops you got to jump through to get there. You probably have to get a new suit that's fitted to you properly. And you have to dress up a little bit. And you have all these things. And you have to have like 17, 18 other people do background checks on you and all that stuff. And the approach is forever. But if that president is your dad, man, you show up in flip-flops and a t-shirt. Because the living God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of his son. So following Christ is a costly endeavor. It would be wise for us to count the cost before going on this journey. I'm going to tell you that this journey of the Christian life is not easy. Abraham went through a lot of things in his life. By acting out in faith, he struggled quite a bit in his life. He could have sat back in the land of Ur, kicked up his feet, and lived off the land. Instead, he denied himself by following what the Word of God said to do. I think some of us jump into this Christian life thinking it's going to be a, a party. It's going to be something easy. The reality is, no, we are all on this journey together. That's why we need each other. So God empowers our obedience through His Word and through His presence. Are you taking these steps of faith daily? This is your challenge. Are you daily picking up your cross and following Him? Are you turning away from selfish needs, wants, and desires and trusting in the living God to provide the promised land, the inheritance? Are you embracing God's presence? Are you worshiping Christ Jesus daily? Or are you more interested in Netflix or social media? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Do I got to go through all my emails? Do I got to see what's happening in Twitter? Do I got to read the, 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 the latest blog? Do I have to watch the news and watch what's happening in Ukraine? If that's your priority, how about we turn from that and live in light of Christ first? Turn to the living God. Faith in God is believing, obeying, and participating in His words. For the Christian, we believe that Jesus Christ, what he says is true. We obey him and participate, which means we have communion with him. So I ask you, are you believing this? Are you trusting that Christ is our only hope? Has your faith found a resting place, as the song so adequately sums up? Are you acting in obedience to him? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you do not have a relationship with him, Come talk to one of the elders. Come talk to me. We would love to talk to you about Christ and what it means to walk in faith.
Now your challenge is to share that with those around you, the people that you see on the street who are languishing. Man, we have a lot of hurting people in Sierra Vista, don't we? I don't know how many people get, get, uh, get their stuff checked out by an actual person anymore, but that person that's checking out your groceries, do you think they got some issues? You think they got some problems? You think they're struggling? What about the person sitting next to you in church? Do you think they probably just had a fight with their wife 10 minutes ago before they got here? Maybe yelled at their kids last night? Maybe treated someone with unkindness? How can you share the living God with that person today? Look for ways to encourage them in the Lord, to, to bring them up, to be a family, because that's what church is, isn't it? We've talked a lot about this, that this is a family organization. We are family members here. When you become a member, you are family. We welcome you. And when you're missing, we miss you. You may say, oh, the church won't miss me. They got people here. No big deal. No, we miss you. Your voice is not part of the congregation when you're gone. That's why we don't live stream our services. We only record it after the fact for those who are stuck. Because we want you to be here. We want you to come. We care about you. I love to see your faces, especially when you smile, not when you're grumpy. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort that faith provides. Lord, as I think about Abraham and all that he went through in life, and he walked out in obedience, uh, he's mentioned so many times in the New Testament as a, as a paradigm of faith. It was credited to him as righteousness, not because he was righteous of his own self, but because of the living God choosing to be his righteousness. Lord, I pray that for us today, that we would see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that lives would find their new hope in you and you alone, that the living God would dwell among each and every person here. Lord, come down in spirit power into everyone's heart. May they see new things in the word. May they be refreshed and revitalized. That's what it means to be born again, to have new life, to take off this old stale life. Lord, if we have Christians in here who are struggling to follow you, God, I pray that you would show yourself to them, that they would, come, that they would see the word come alive in their hearts and in their lives. They would step out in obedience, that they would follow what the living God says, that they would reject lesser loves, and pursue the treasure that is Jesus Christ, that they would find joy and delight in the Son of God. Father, I know you've done so much in my life, in my family's life, and I pray that the same thing would happen to those that we interact with. Lord, we pray for Sierra Vista. We, we long for the salvation of souls here in this community. Lord, we, we long for, for lost sheep to be recovered, that those who come to this town would, would find a home in one of these gospel-preaching churches in our community, that we would reach out for the living God. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.